I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. On today's episode, we have Dr. Mike Camperini. It's very weird saying that because everyone knows him as Campo. And we are talking everything programming palooza. The focus of the show is to talk about why coaches do what they do, why they make the decisions that they do, and what their decisions actually look like in exercises. Today, we are going to talk very specifically about the training program Campo wrote for me. Over the past two years, I have asked another coach to write all or part of my training plan and found the experience to be extremely beneficial. The experience has allowed me to remove certain biases I have towards my own fitness decisions and gain some insight into another coach's perspective. I have known Campo for a very long time now, and he is one of the best coaches I know. Campo currently works as a physical therapist and strength coach based in Phoenix, Arizona. He holds a DPT from Simmons University and a bachelor's in exercise science from Springfield College. And Campo is getting extremely famous on the gram by having his remote training clients, including Justin Moore, Mike Robertson, and myself, post videos of their exercise execution, and then he provides feedback. It has been extremely useful watching his coaching in action. He also works with several professional baseball players, and you can follow him directly at Campo underscore DPT. And if you want to join in on all the fun, he works remotely with a wide variety of clientele, and you can simply just send him a message on Instagram or email him at campo.dpt at gmail.com. And Campo is C-A-M-P-O. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the following topics. His decision-making and program design strategies specifically for myself, the overall training considerations and structure, the benefits of adding a unilateral bias to a typical bilateral exercise, why certain exercises can provide both fitness intensity and movement adaptations, identifying limitations but not stopping you from fitness. So without further ado, here's our episode with Campo. Whether you are building strength or building back stronger, you need to check out Anchor. Anchor provides the portable space-saving cable trainer that is powering athletes' training across the world of sports and performance. The company's newest product, the Anchor Pro, provides a professional-grade cable training experience at a fraction of the cost of a traditional cable machine. Visit a-N-C-O-R-E training.com and get an exclusive 10% off your Anchor Pro order for being a more train, less pain listener. Enter the code MTLP at checkout and get your Anchor and train without limits today. All right, Mike, you ready? Sure. All right, if you play with your beard one more time, <laughs> lose my mind. Too bad. Get away from it. Happen. 
<laughs> All I right, we're going to basically talk about my favorite subject, which is myself. This is like the best episode for me. Yeah, because we all know that you're extremely selfish and self-centered. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to be the center of attention all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, you exactly. started this this podcast, right, Michelle? Oh, absolutely. I can't yeah. talk about myself enough. <laughs> um, okay, so I everyone got a little intro with you before. Okay. So I want to dive into the program that you created for me. So. Sure. First thing I want to do is I kind of like take a zoom out perspective, like a big picture mm-hmm. and just talk about like what you were thinking about with the program, you know, things that we may have discussed and sure. uh, how you wanted to organize it, um, especially with logistics and equipment. You know, I told you that this is going to fall in between my three days right. a week door and repeat training program. So I wanted like a quick workout, like 30 minutes, the most, right. um, and you can kind of take it from there. All right. So anytime I'm looking at a program, whoever I'm working with, it's it's their goals that are going to be what drive it, right? And that should kind of be the case for, for any intervention you're doing with people. But um, so in terms of your goals and what things that you should always consider, it's like you didn't really have any specific movement goal or movement limitation. So I'm going to still take your presentation into mind as far as how we're going to structure exercises, but it's more so going to be like, okay, are you limited in anything? And if so, how can we work around it? Just cause that's not really your goal of like, Oh, I'm, I feel really limited in this, or I want to get better at this kind of performance. No, you were just looking for a good program to do in between sessions to drive some fitness, get some sweat going, make sure that you're, getting some cardiovascular endurance, making sure you're getting some power, just like very basic, like quote unquote GPP kind of stuff, right? So again, movement presentation is important, but just to think about like, okay, what might she struggle with? What are some things that we can navigate to just make sure that we're successful with things? And and that's really it. you, You take some injury history into consideration. So okay, maybe we avoid certain exercises or that's just not part of block one and we can progress to some other stuff. So I know, you know, you had that history of like hip pain going on. So maybe we're not going to do any crazy change of direction stuff or crazy dynamic stuff right off the bat, especially if you're not used to that kind of stuff right now. But then if you would like that, we can progress towards it, just monitoring how the hip is responding what your movement presentation is like, if we're taking away motion with certain things and we know the hip is an issue, maybe I don't want to do certain exercises with that. Or that that's essentially what I'd be monitoring. Um, but going forward, that's kind of uh, what I would be focusing on in terms of how we're going to go forward with your program. So it's just, okay, typical movement presentation. What are you limited in? What are you going to be good at? What are you going to struggle with? How can we structure the, the program to navigate those issues? And then based on progression or based on whatever, again, your goals are, we can progress towards certain things while keeping in mind the same issues. Okay, what are your goals? Based on your presentation, what might be some hurdles that we'd have to go against? And then how do we navigate from there? So that I guess overview, that's kind of how I would frame it. 
Yeah. And then this is the first program you've ever made me. I think it was about four weeks long. So kind of the point of interest for me is patience with all of this, right? Because you want to see some changes and you talked about maybe monitoring like a tipping point, like, you know, something was pushing me too far in a direction, being able to pull back. I think a lot of coaches struggle with that. Like they want something instant, like quick gratification, quick changes. And it is a play of over time, seeing how things, you know, seeing how people respond to your things. And you're really good. And we'll talk about later of like, you know, you watch me do an exercise and you're like, yeah, that is not a good choice. Like, let's do something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so anytime you're programming to, to go off a, a couple of those points you're making, it's like, I think just how our clients, you know, we're, we're all human. So I think we all like the, the instant gratification kind of stuff. And we, it's always going to be a struggle and it's always going to take more energy to delay gratification or at least have faith that we're on the right path, right? And it, it's just going to have an understanding. It's just going to take a little longer. Um, so we're, we're just like our clients with that. It's like our client's going to get on the scale every day and they're going to be like, oh, like, you know, I only lost two pounds in the past week or like, you know, I'm up a pound yesterday from today or same thing if like they're struggling with an injury. It's like, well, my shoulder isn't great after that first session I had with that guy or you know my knee is still bothering me two weeks later in the same kind of exercise or you know in a, in a performance mindset same thing with like a vertical jump it's like they, they want it they want that like hack that life hack of like oh if I just do this one thing it's going to make like this massive 75 percent gain on whatever issue I'm, I'm tackling it's like sometimes there are certain things that are like that. It's just like this obvious low hanging fruit that you can instantly tap into and it's super easy and like, Oh, thank God. But honestly, most of the time it's not like that. Same thing. So same thing for a client pursuing their goals. And then whether it's, we feel the pressure from the client to get instant gratification, or we just feel compelled to get that as a coach to kind of validate oh, I'm a good coach, we're getting good results, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, no matter what you're looking for, things are going to take time uh, to to cement themselves, to demonstrate a a positive trajectory towards progress. And like people know that it's just a matter of reminding yourself that that's the situation. And then just having certain things that you do track over time to make sure okay, we're, we are heading or trending in the right direction or we're not. So that's all. And one of the things, obviously, of course, I respect about you is you took into consideration all of the things I wanted. I'm very fitness biased, right? I think a lot of fitness coaches get stuck in that limitation bracket of wanting to fix things. And then they lose sight of all the things that they have access to. And the person that they work with is capable of Right. And working with that. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think that's a big uh, difference between like, you know, people create the dichotomy of like performance and rehab. Well, I, I would kind of think of someone as a rehab client if they don't have enough of these options of, of exercises that I'd feel comfortable giving them or prescribing them to where they're going to feel successful, successful as far as execution, 
accessible as far as, hey, this doesn't hurt my hip when I do it. Um, and then successful as in, okay, we're, we're getting the same kind of fitness or performance result that we wanted from that. If I don't have a wide option or array of those exercises, then we got to, you know, ramp up the, the rehab side of things to just give them more options to allow them to do that. And then once they are capable of doing whatever is deemed as the appropriate number of options for exercises that they're pursuing, then let's start to pursue that instead. Like, hence why the, the goal is always going to be within the mindset of whether it's a rehab thing or a performance thing, right? I don't need all of my clients having enough shoulder health to do handstands unless they're a gymnast that really wants to do handstands, you know, so I don't want to continue to open up as many options as we possibly can until we get to, you know, having this massive infinite array of exercises. It's like, okay, you just want to be fit and, you know, feel fit and look good in the mirror. We just need like, I don't know, seven things. We got some lower body stuff, some upper body stuff. Can you move it stuff quickly? And then can you do it over a prolonged period and nothing hurts? And we're just tracking like, okay, we're not really messing you up too much from like a, a movement option array. Great. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Keep driving that prolonged delayed gratification train to get some of the goals you want. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice having an open mindset. And I, I love the, the range of exercise kind of goal right. like leading you one way or the other. It's, it's hard too, especially like schools of thought when people associate certain types of exercises with like the only way to get fit, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, you got to do hip thrusters to build a big booty or you got to do deadlifts to like really build strength. It's like, well, I don't know, look at this person. And if they've never lifted or they haven't worked out in like two years, we could probably do really any exercise repeatedly and they'd get some sort of fitness effect. And then all while, you know, if we still want to open up the options, let's say, you know, on their day, you know, they've got an A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. Okay. So that's six exercises that we're working with. Maybe four of those six exercises are fitness related. And then two of those six are non-fitness related to where, okay, I'm trying to teach you how to hinge properly, or I'm trying to improve motion at your shoulder with this one. It's like, it, it doesn't have to be this all or none, like, oh, this is a rehab. Uh, this is a rehab program, or this is a performance program. Let's just figure out, okay, can we still kind of open up the options a little bit to get more exercises on our menu, all while driving some fitness with some unrelated exercises, well, not unrelated, but at least more useful exercises that aren't going to mess stuff up. So say you, you have shoulder pain with doing a push-up. Okay, let's regress the push-up to where it's allowing us to perform the exercise, but gaining more motion and maybe not necessarily getting us huge bulk of pecs or whatever. But all the while, we're still going to drive some fitness and hypertrophy with other exercises. So we're going to focus more on lower body stuff, or maybe we'll do more rowing for your upper body, just so you feel like you're getting a better uh, fitness adaptation with, with your upper body. It, it, it doesn't have to be this all or none approach. It's just, you know, I've got, like I said, six exercises to pick from, maybe uh, delegate different adaptations for each of those exercises and make sure they don't like interfere too much with what we're trying to do. That's all.
Cool. All right, back to me. What's <laughs> important? Yeah, I was like 20 minutes not talking about you. I know. It's like <laughs> God, terrible. It's terrible, yeah. So what would you say, you know, basic terms, things that you consider in, in relation to like my presentation? Like, you know me very well, um, have seen me in person. Uh, we basically grew up together. You know, yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't even remember like my grad school onwards, like everything else. Yeah, is pretty just much. Same. Back in the memory. <laughs> um, I think based on your overall presentation, you had some limitation in, in left hip motion, which is, um, and that, that was even from a while ago when we, we did that assessment. We kind of cleaned that up a, a, a while ago. So uh, you, you tell me, has that been um, being a terrible coach right now of like, not keeping track of how you're doing, but um, like, have you had any prior issues or recent issues or anything like that? No, I think that time that you're referring to, I think was one of the most stressful times of my life. And then my body basically responded to that um, stressful cognitively and emotionally. And I was having a lot of right, I think it was like lateral and um, posterior hip pain. Okay. And uh, I remember exactly what you gave me. Again, it's, it was very good to me because it was a perfect warm up. And then you were like, yeah, go do whatever you want. It was like left adductor pullback. So laying on the ground, 90 degrees on my right side, pulling back my left leg, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, a cable fly. Yeah. All about those gains. You know that. And then yep. an alternating bicep curl in a oh, staggered perfect. stance. Pretty sweet. Um, yeah, a couple, couple things to remark on that, even from like, you know, the, the, you know, this is an interesting topic of like PT's role in, in pain management in general. So pain's always going to be a multifactorial issue as you're kind of alluding to of like, you know, I had so many of these psychological and emotional stressors that I felt were weighing on me physically. It's like, Based on my scope of practice as a physical therapist, I can uh, assess how those things are demonstrating themselves physically, but with the understanding that there might be other factors that are contributing to that. Okay. Right. So it's huge, yes. huge idea. So it's like, <laughs> so yeah, I'm still staying within my scope of practice while still respecting that there there are other variables outside of my control, but at least making you aware that, okay, these might be things that, and again, you're, you're well-read, you know all this stuff already, that might be a higher priority to managing the overall situation. Does that mean I throw my hands up and say, oh, well, it's stress's fault, so I'm just going to refer you to a, a psychiatrist or something? Like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Because even though I can not potentially influence the direct issue, I can still have an indirect um, uh, influence on the system in general. So, okay, you feel like crap and you're really stressed, so you're not moving as well. Well, if I give you a few exercises that help you move well, did that still help you to, to manage, not solve, but manage the situation? Yeah. You felt better with your hip. You moved a little bit more and that enabled you to exercise, which was useful for your stress management. Great. That, that, that was how I fulfilled my scope of practice within your situation. 
Now, it might be something different where, you know, everyone always has stress in life, but maybe, you know, that amount of influence of your movement system that I was able to influence reduced your pain enough to where, okay, it was manageable for you with just these strategies for the time being for you. Right. That, that's how, how you should kind of approach the situation anyway. But uh, I think we're good topic to talk about, but I think we're getting off track. a little bit. <laughs> Back to me, back to me. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, I, I think that's extremely important to remember because, you know, I just went through, you know, a course and a lot of, again, trainers struggle with people who come to them in pain and get frustrated when they cannot solve that pain. It's, it's right. almost like a thing of, well, you know, what if you'll never kind of be able to solve that? What else are you giving them in your scope of practice that can benefit them in one way? Maybe it's not the whole picture, obviously, but like, what can you do? You know, right. Right. Um, so it's a good thing. All right. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. yeah. Well, no, just, just like cap that it's like, Kind of what we were talking about with that whole delaying gratification. It's like that's if we want to be cons- if we want to consider ourselves a good coach. A lot of people think like, oh, I just got to make sure I'm solving all of my clients' problems, and th- and that's how I I validate myself as quote unquote good coach. Mm-hmm. Well, we also have to have the the understanding of like what our skill set is, and doing what's appropriate for this individual. So say like, you know, I've got a light bulb out in my house and, you know, I tried to change the light bulb. doesn't work. I call an electrician and the electrician comes to change the light bulb and takes care of that issue for my house. But I also have a leaky faucet in the kitchen that the light bulb was having an issue with. Well, I'm not going to say that the electrician was a crappy electrician because he didn't fix my leaky faucet. It's out of his scope of practice. He was able to help my house, the patient, the system as a whole. So my house as a whole through helping me with my light bulb, but i still have the plumbing issue. I got to figure out a different solution for that. You know? So anyway. Fantastic analogy. Thank you. Appreciate it. I might steal that and use it one day. Please do. <laughs> but use like so- carpenter instead of electrician or something like that. Okay. You know, okay yeah, yeah. It's copyrighted. Yes. <laughs> Modified enough so my lawyers don't come out. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so obviously I'm a fitness professional. Sure. Uh, how does like my training experience impact some of your decision making? Uh, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to where I can uh, outsource some of the uh, decision making to you as mm-hmm. opposed to having to facilitate the entire process. So like when you were given the example of like, I gave you those three exercises for your hip and I said, okay, go do whatever the hell you want with the understanding that, okay, this is Michelle. She's been training people for a while. She has a good movement background. She has a good knowledge base. She understands what might be more appropriate for her to perform from an exercise standpoint, what might not be. Whereas, you know, someone that doesn't have that same level of knowledge I might be a little bit more hands-on as far as like guiding them with a, with a, a fitness solution if they're still wanting to exercise. So that, that's where like working with a strength coach or working with a personal trainer as my own client or as my own 
patient makes it a ton easier for me just because I can utilize your background to, to help with, with the issue. S- same thing of like, okay, if I was training a psychologist instead of a, a, a trainer to kind of go along with the conversation that we we're having before, they'll have a much better idea and understanding of how stress might be involved in this and then be able to self-manage some of that stuff. Whereas I wouldn't have to refer them out if I felt that that was necessary for that person. So same, same thing with you. You can self-manage your, your exercise repertoire. Great. That's already within your skill set. Uh, if it's not, I need to make sure that I can help you make better decisions for the circumstance you're in right now. So, so that's kind of yeah. how that influenced that. And you do a lot of that on your Instagram too, which I have had, I personally have had many people uh, send me a message saying how helpful it is. If I put up an exercise of myself doing something and I ask you for feedback and you write like a really good, well-spoken, good coaching cues. Right. And I'm like, dang, because you can see and visualize it and right. you know, look for the changes that you want. And uh, people find that really useful. Yeah. And that was, that was like part of even what I wanted to do originally with Instagram. Cause you know, as you're well aware with like the whole environment and culture within Instagram and fitness is uh, dicey, let's call mm-hmm. it to where, you know, ethically, I still want to make sure I'm delivering the same kind of information and the same kind of product I would to any kind of patient or client to the world at large of my I don't know, however many followers I have. I think I'm like a little over a thousand now. So, you know, pat myself on the back for that. Anyway, um, so it's just a matter of, you know, still trying to stick to my own ethics of like, what kind of information do I want to deliver? Am I going to give like this big grandiose general uh, explanation of like, everyone should do X for back pain or everyone should do Y for shoulder pain? It's like, no, what what I try to illustrate is like, things are a little bit more contextual and the reasoning why I'm doing this sort of thing for this person is because of how the, the context is presenting itself uh, for, for this certain situation. And, you know, that gets a little tricky because people, again, they want like that quick fix. They want that quick answer. But, you know, what I've tried to do is at least illustrate that like, Hey, it's not always going to be like that, but we also don't have to like blow it out of proportion of like, Okay, you're like this special snowflake that you need to get this examination in order to to have an understanding of like why your hip hurts and like a split squat and stuff like that. So it's like trying to find the balance between those two things. Yeah, Um, it's useful in terms of like people want these like a why, like the long explanation reasons, like why you're doing something. And though that is useful in a way. a lot of exercises can fall into that realm, but you instead will be able to, they can see what you see and you can say, Hey, Justin, Justin Moore, her referring to Mm -hmm. just get a wider stance. And then you post another one with a wider stance. And it's like, "Uh, that's much better. You know, with these quick little tips. Yeah. And, and like bringing up the idea that like, you know, I think people are looking for like the magic bullet of like the exercise or the thing that they need to perform in order to help them out. And it's like, well, again, based on my expertise, I might have an idea of what would help you, 
but we got to kind of tinker with things, try things out. And, you know, there might be like seven things that you could do that would be an answer. That That's kind of, again, what I tried to illustrate with this of like, that's what coaching is. I, I don't know the answer. Everyone that I've learned from doesn't know the answer. They, they have an idea or they have a, a hypothesis. And then coaching is just, it's like the scientific method. It's like you generate a hypothesis based on what you're observing you put it into practice and then you see what the result's going to be is as long as you have an idea of the result you want. So that the goal and, and you're striving towards that and the results demonstrate that that's where you're heading towards. then I feel much more comfortable with the selection that I made. So it's not that I knew that selection would create the result. I tried the selection. We looked at the result. And we made the judgment based on the goal of, okay, did that work for what I wanted or did not, that not work for what I wanted? That's So but again, like same thing with, with the whole coaching process. It's like, that's, that's all it is. Am I, am I going to make mistakes and pick the wrong thing? Yeah. But as long as you're staying dynamic and acknowledging that, understanding that, staying true to the goal, shouldn't matter because then we can kind of redirect and make a course correction to get you back on track. So exactly. It's patience and in being able to be adaptable through that. Right. All right. So let's dive now into kind of zooming in and sure. um, shared my screen with you, but let's go up the warm up first. So sure. the first drill is left walking lazy bear. Can you first explain like what that looks like and sure. then why it's there? So to give a little bit more context and I kind of, I'm so smart. I put it in the little notes section there. So you had left lower thoracic compression, creating anterior pelvic orientation and thoracic pelvic posterior orientation. So that just means you had a little bit more muscle activity on like the bottom of your ribs on the left side. And so that pushed your hip forward and it dumped your left shoulder back. Okay. And so that helped you put a little bit more force into the ground on the left side. But what we'd want if we're trying to manage some, some movement issues is to distribute some of that force a little bit more effectively. So rather than using that same strategy to use, to put force into the ground, let's try and teach you a slightly different one. Um, and then let's go do the same kind of thing within your exercises. That's all. So the left walking lazy bear, all that is, is you're on all fours. You take a step back with your left knee, take a step back with your left hand, and then you just push your ribs back and you tuck your hips underneath you. So the reach helps to reorient the thorax. The tuck with the hips helps to reorient the hips. And then the step back biases a little bit more of that on that lower left side that uh, you were demonstrating that, that same strategy. Okay. Take some breaths, feel that spot open up, and then that helps to solidify a little bit more of the change in that, in that new position. Okay. And then I guess moving, moving through the whole warm-up, we kind of take that and make it a little bit more dynamic. So the left reverse ninja roll. So you're just sitting on your butt and you roll over your left shoulder. So again, the momentum with your legs, bring your hips under you. You rolling over your shoulder brings your thorax down into a different position. 
Okay. And then the right ninja roll where you're going forward does the same thing, but now you're just rolling forward instead of rolling backwards. Okay. So it's a little bit more, it's not just staying there and breathing. It's a little bit more dynamic. So now not only are we improving some of the movement qualities, but we're starting to get the heart rate elevated. We're getting a little bit of firing potential from the nervous system. Um, so we're actually creating a little bit of a warm up that will prep you for activity as opposed to just increasing movement options, right? So if you have like a menu of adaptations you're trying to get from an exercise, one exercise might really highlight this one adaptation. So maybe like that left walking lazy bear really highlights the change to your movement. Let's see if we can get some other ones that might not highlight that as much, but redistribute other adaptations. So we're getting a little bit more of a cardiovascular response. We're getting a little bit more of a neuromuscular response with some of the dynamic stuff while still attending to the movement stuff that we were creating. So that's what those first two are. The reverse cross body skip again. Now we're just still building up the dynamic aspect, still building up the, the speed aspect to it. So we're adding more adaptations to that, but while still attending uh, to the movement issue. So when you were doing a skip backwards, you're just doing a little mini skip backwards while still bringing one elbow down to your opposite knee. So the backwards motion helps to uh, redistribute force and forces the back of your body to expand to allow the motion to occur backwards. Bringing your elbow, so let's say you're skipping back with your left foot. So you do a little skip back with the left, you bring your right knee up to your left elbow. And so that helps to bring your hips up and back to the left. And that brings your elbow down and that helps to also bring your ribs into the opposite position that we were describing in the beginning. So that's your skips. And then the med ball slam to lateral med ball throw. So again, that's just kind of like another, okay, let's really ramp things up. So now I might not really care so much about the movement side of things because we did four other exercises to help facilitate that. Now let's just really get your nervous system going. Let's get some blood flow to working muscles. Um, and let's actually cap the warm up off with that so that you can go into uh, the rest of your warm up not feeling like a dead fish. So there we go. Appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, it's fun for me because I'm moving quickly. I love mm -hmm. doing that in the warm up, I love getting going right away. For sure. Um, I rent space out of a, a local CrossFit and someone said, I've never seen someone skip as much as you do. And I said, <laughs> thank you. You're just so happy. That's all. Such a good compliment. Um, okay. And that's taking us. And that warm-up is what I do every day before a training session. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So we're going to head into day one and see what that looks like for the overall structure of the session. Again, I wanted a shorter training day in between my longer training days and 30 minutes tops, which it usually is what it takes me. And there's an A1 paired with an A2. And then there's four exercises that are done as a circuit. So right. A1 is heels elevated, high kettlebell clean. So right. I am holding a kettlebell, standing on a super fancy slant board, 
<laughs> I'm moving the kettlebell up to my chest, repositioning my hand, and I'm dropping into a high squat position. Correct. Okay. So reasoning. So let, let's go over the overall structure. The, the A1 and the A2, again, is meant to continue to facilitate a little bit more uh, performance change. So this is more like a power production. This is more of a speed uh, um, adaptation. And then the B1, 2, 3, and 4, more of like your slower moving, uh, force production, strength adaptation, stuff like that. Um, again, just to... The, the B1, 2, 3, 4 helps to circuit things together so you can fly through it a little bit faster as opposed to kind of taking your time and sloshing through different different exercises, right? And then the A1 and A2 uh, might take a little bit more focus for you to perform. So let's not circuit those. Let's only pair the two together and so they can kind of like highlight each other. Um, but so anyway, going back to the heels elevated high kettlebell clean or like a kettlebell power clean, I guess you could call it. So again, ba based on your structure as an individual, so you're a little bit more of a, a narrow framed person. So that actually uh, hinders your ability to generate pressure or generate force into the ground. And that increases your uh, compensation to try and put force into the ground. So like the kind of the same kind of compensation that we were talking about before that starts to take motion away for the sake of, of force production, right? So all I'm trying to do is teach you a better strategy to produce pressure or to produce force. So to go a little bit deeper into that, um, the reason why you need to generate pressure is because you're pretty much a big bag of fluid with some guts inside. And if you don't generate that pressure to create the internal pressure, those things slosh around and move you any which way. Uh, so you need to control both those internal forces to manage gravity and to manage how you're going to navigate through the world. Okay. Now, based on your narrow structure, uh, you're a little bit less adept at generating more pressure to uh, facilitate that. So that's what we're trying to do with the A1 and the A2 is to improve your ability to, to generate pressure, to get into different positions that will allow you to generate that pressure and, and help you manage more of that to create that same kind of change. All while improving your force production and power production and rate of force development and all that good stuff. Okay. So the high kettlebell clean limits how much your guts are actually going to move and move in a downward fashion. So that's actually would be a form of a regression for you so that you can more successfully generate pressure through the pelvis, through your lower half to manage that kind of movement. Okay. And then the high seated box jump also highlights that. So with the high kettlebell clean, you're managing the pressure moving down so it makes it easier for you to manage the guts coming down and generate pressure against that. With the high seated box jump, you're already in an elevated position. So the guts aren't going to move down very far. Um, and it enables your lower half to be already in a pretty advantageous position 
to generate that pressure. And then you don't have the added issue of the guts going down like you wouldn't like a counter movement jump or a hurdle jump or something like that. So that's, that's why these are paired together. So you're getting the downward force and the downward pressure, focus on that on the A1. And then we have the upward force and the upward pressure, focus on that for your A2. And then the constraints of the exercise, so the depth, the high box, allow you to more successfully generate that pressure as well. So that's kind of like the thought process behind that and a lot of the other exercises we do. So well, that, uh, those are probably my two favorite, like my favorite pairing, excuse me. It's just every time I think about the kettlebell clean, I think about what you said about like speed, how quickly can I drop in? And mm-hmm. with the box jump, I'm thinking how hard I can push into the ground to jump up. Nailed uh, it. Yeah. And, and obviously the cueing doesn't have to be too crazy on that either. It's just like drop, drop quick, catch it quick. Okay. So you, so we're increasing the complexity or the, the difficulty by having you drop quick. So maybe for, if someone's really struggling, you might say, okay, drop less quick. Okay. But then as long as you can demonstrate uh, a good strategy for generating the pressure and managing the internal force, keep rolling with it. Maybe we'll progress it with depth. Maybe we'll progress it with get a bigger kettlebell. So that adds to the amount of pressure that you have to generate, et cetera. And then, yeah, with the box jump, you're just kind of, okay, you're sitting there. So there's not too much complexity to sitting, just sit and then just push through your feet to get up onto the box and like, you know, don't smack your shins and like break your nose and all that on the box. Please, but kind of like individual coaching comes in. Right. So like, cause like how much would it ruin it if say I, well, I do it on like a 12 inch box, which is easy kind of me for clean. I'm trying to mm-hmm. jump as high as I can, but I'm not trying to reach the goal of jumping on a surface as high as I can. Right. So like there's a difference of me getting out a 30 inch box right. and being like, how much can I hike up my knees to get on top of this box? Like right. that's not the task, but you know, another coach may perceive that as, or athlete, excuse me, as that being the goal. Sure. Well, yeah. And then that'll just kind of be a coaching moment of like, you know, it, it's also obviously important for them to have enough of an idea of what you're going after to make the, the exercise um, effective for you. So like, say, you know, you're only jumping up onto a 12 inch box. Maybe that person doesn't really put a whole lot of effort into jumping into the 12 inch box. So looking at that, I might have two options. It's like, okay, tell them to push harder and jump higher. Okay. They might do that might have enough motivation to it. Or maybe instead of doing a 30 inch box, make it a 24 inch box. So then the constraint of how high that box is forces them to generate a little bit more force and pressure into the ground to where now it's a more effective exercise. And it really didn't take any coaching at all. It might've just been annoying of like, you know, I had to move and grab a different box and change the box out. Um, but that's really it. It's like the box facilitated the change that, that we wanted, right? But so, you know, I either tell them, okay, this is more of the intent or structure the exercise to match the intent a little bit more. That's all. So Perfect. So with these circuits, I'm not going to have you explain all four. I'm going to pick two. 
Okay. Okay. So the are you saying one... it was a little long-winded with the other two explanations? <laughs> is that what you're saying? No, don't be silly. All right. All right. So I'm going to list off the exercises, but then I'm just going to pick two. So B1 is Jefferson kickstand deadlifts. Mm -hmm. Um, B2 is band assisted deadlift grip pull-ups. B3 is split stance, med ball, chest pass dribbles. B4 is a contralateral, so opposite arm, kettlebell racked hold split squats. Right. So I'm going to go with the first two, the Jefferson okay. kickstand deadlifts and the alternating grip pull-ups. Yeah. So these are variations off of uh, heavier bilateral activities that I'll commonly use um, to make sure that one, there are positions that we can still load so we can still get some sort of force adaptation for someone that's you know looking to get a workout. So again, aspects of quote unquote, a good workout for, you know, the, the common held belief of what is a good workout. It's like, okay, I felt, I felt my muscles working more. So, okay. That's more rate coding. So the nervous system is a little bit more activated. So we can use speed or load to facilitate that. Um, the increase in that intensity also helps the cardiovascular system work a little bit more. So we're getting the heart rate up and those are like kind of bare bones. Like, oh, okay. I'm having a quote unquote, good workout right now all while managing some of the side effects that might come from a a heavier bilateral lift. So because I'm doing a circuit style here, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say your A1 is a heavy trap bar deadlift. And that's great. That gives us a lot of different adaptations for strength, for, for power output, for muscle growth, all that. But then I can structure other, other exercises in there to uh, recapture motion that might've been lost with that exercise. So I get certain adaptations with one exercise, but there's a deleterious effect to other adaptations with it. So then, like I said, I can use other exercises within the program to counteract those. So then we're still uh, gaining on within both groups of the adaptation, right? So because you're a circuit style, I might not dedicate a big chunk of the block to one adaptation and a big chunk of the block to the other. I might try and make it a little bit more evened out between all the different adaptations. So we'll use an offset kind of position. So your kickstand position to where one foot is back, one foot is forward. And then the, that Jefferson position is still something that, okay, you have a barbell in your hand. And we can like flip your hands. That'll help to drive a little bit more rotation, a little bit more offset. Um, and then we're doing one, one side at a time. So again, like we might not necessarily load one side too heavily or the entire system too heavily, just because we can delegate the load from either leg, which allows us to still have option for motion and not need as much load in order to still generate the same kind of intensity. And then same thing with the band-assisted deadlift grip. Say I'm doing um, a normal uh, pull-up or a normal chin-up. Well, that's going to bias both sides of your body to a certain kind of motion and limit the other bandwidth or the other spectrum of that same motion. Well, now if I just flip-flop the hands, I have one side of the body doing one thing, the other side doing the other. 
And then on the next set, you flip your hands and then you, again, you offset it to now the other side is doing the opposite of what it did in the first set. And then the other side is doing the opposite of what it did in the first set. That's how you can kind of even out those adaptations of, okay, we're still doing more intense exercise, but we're also managing and maintaining some more of these movement qualities that we're looking forward to. Awesome. Two questions from that. Would, sure. would you preference a pull-up versus a chin-up with me, or was that not really too much on your mind? Think about that. I would probably preference a um, I would probably preference a chin-up based on your kind of limitation. So if you if you go more into a pull-up position, that'll bias both arms into more internal rotation so big so especially in something like a pull-up the main muscle that you're going to be working is going to be that lat group well going back to your original presentation you had more of that posterior lower compression left greater than right uh, that lat group is something that i'm going to want to manage or uh, keep in check to make sure that we're also not um, influencing or attributing to more of that same movement strategy that you were, you were demonstrating before, right? So if, if you were going to put a gun to my head and ask, chin up or pull up, which one do you want? Like, I, I, I guess I would go with chin up for you because then as you supinate your hands, it'll bias the ER a little bit more in the upper body. And that'll allow for a little bit less uh, concentric orientation of, of that lat muscle group. You can, you can do a bunch of different variations too. So let's say like you do an L sit or like a, a knees to chest pull up. That would be another uh, option to also, again, manage that the, the anterior orientation, of your hips and allow a little bit more of the expansion, the posterior lower thorax. Um, so say you were adamant about doing your pull-ups because I don't know, you're going to enter a pull-up competition, but yeah, exactly. Or I don't know, you're like, you're like a climber. So we wanted to make sure that we were doing more like pronated position stuff because that's where you're, a lot of your climbing occurs. Right. Okay. But then if we're still trying to make things a little evened out, we're managing the performance adaptation by making you do a pull-up but then we're also managing the movement adaptation by doing something else with your lower body where the band assistance helps with that too, to where you can, you know, maybe not necessarily uh, put as much emphasis towards loading the movement, unload a little bit so we can manage some position, but just enough to where, you know, you can rep out 12 pull-ups and it's still pretty dang hard for you. So. Absolutely. Cool. And my, that was great answer. Second question <laughs> would be, um, so say you found out, cause I, I switched from a barbell Jefferson. So instead of holding a barbell between my legs, yeah. opposite hand grip, I moved to, um, a trap bar, but I okay. said to you, Hey, in part of my door and repeat training program, I actually am doing a kickstand deadlift with a trap bar, heavy okay. weights. Right. So now I kind of just do this with kettlebells with the opposite hand trying to keep it back where like the handle sure. would be. Sure. But what if I came to you and I was like, Hey, like with those kickstand deadlifts, I'm chasing weight. Like 
I think I'm up to like 215 on a kickstand deadlift with a trap nice. bar for eight reps. Nice. Would that compromise your intent? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna Fair enough. Uh, preface it with that. So that that would be the kind of circumstance of like, okay, let's go back to our results portion of mm. our study here and see, okay, after we do that, so say you have, so for a lot of my clients, I'll give them uh, KPIs or key performance indicators, just some kind of result or objective measure for them to mm -hmm. track, make sure that we're not compromising too much of their movement. And it's something simple. It's something like, hey, keep your knees straight and touch your toes. Did that get harder? Yeah. Okay. Well, keep track of it and then see you did your kickstand deadlift it got your toe touch got worse. Okay, let's not blow it out of proportion. How much worse? Was it just a little bit tighter? Let's try the rest of your exercises and finish the circuit. So if B1 is your 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 um, kickstand deadlift, your toe touch got worse. Okay. Go through B2. What happened to your toe touch? Oh well, it stayed the same. Okay. B3, what happened with your toe touch? Oh, it got better. Okay, so we're back to square one. Before, mm -hmm. what happened to your toe touch? Oh, it got better. Oh, okay, well, so we're plus one. So through the, it's not just that one exercise, but through the entire circuit, we got back to the the B one, and it took, you know, one inch away, but the whole circuit added two inches. So each time you go through the circuit, you're actually adding an inch to the toe touch. Does that mean that the, the kickstand deadlift has to get kicked to the curb? No, it's still driving like good adaptations. And then we're managing the side effects of that exercise with all the other exercises that we have going on. But we're not going to know that until, you know, hey, we have some sort of objective measure that we're tracking, right? We're, so we're tracking performance with the weight, but then we're also tracking movement with touch your toes. Can you only get to your laces? Okay, well... Try it again after this other one. Oh, you can get down to your toes now. All right, great. It's better. You know, but, and, that, and that's what I mean by like, okay, we have all these different adaptations that we're looking for. Maybe we can kind of offset which um, exercise is biased more towards a certain adaptation. And then does that offset in general towards the goals that we're, that we're shooting for? Yeah. And I'll be so high after like a 225 kickstand deadlift that I'm just going to be like, oh, my toe touch was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, like what you said, like, you know, it, it's nothing is going to kill you. People think that every decision that they're making has these like extreme consequences. No, it's like, well, you can pair that exercise with um, another exercise that may really just focus on those limitations and kind of pulling you back from you know, all that squeezing that you just did in that right. first exercise or the exercises that you put in the circuit aren't going to be as heavily loaded and more biased towards a movement adaptation. Exactly. So like I'll, I'll kind of come out of it, if you will. And then at the end, you know, you even kind of give me an ending exercise, which I have been doing coach. Thank you. Day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. So we're going to hop to day two. I definitely want to talk about A1, A2. So the first one is a bunny hop to split squat drop with plate punch. So I am bunny hopping twice 
and then dropping, letting go into a split squat and then punching a five pound plate right out in front of me and pausing Correct. and then repeating. Correct. So um, go going back to, again, your initial presentation and your overall structure, crappier at generating pressure. So intra-abdominal pressure to manage internal forces or internal movement. Okay. So how it, let, let's get a little into the weeds in this one. Cause this is fun and interesting. And I like talking about this stuff. So okay. in grad school, I did a decent amount of, uh, looking into, um, like stretch shortening cycle and like deformation of tendons and soft tissue during something like a, like a jumping exercise. So when you're doing a form of jumping exercise, you actually have the maximum amount of muscle activity at the amortization phase or at the bottom of your jump. And if you also look at literature with pelvic floor function during athletic motions, you have the peak of intra-abdominal pressure occurring at the amortization phase of the jump. So what the, what the system at large is actually trying to do is at that amortization phase, yes, your musculature is creating tensile force to help deform the tendon, but the musculature is also creating compressive or pressurizing forces to at the same time uh, manage those internal forces that are occurring or would be peaking at that point in the jump as well. And so then you're even absorbing that force through the soft tissue and then utilizing that force to propel not only your body, but the internal forces inside of you as you come out of that jump. So the little bunny hop thing that you do prior to landing in the, in the split squat jump helps to, helps you to actually increase the amount of intra or inter abdominal pressure and manage the same amount of, of internal forces prior to something like drop, dropping down into a split squat. So the split squat, as you drop, would increase the amount of internal force because then you're dropping uh, farther and faster. So you're creating more potential energy out of the guts that your entire system is going to have to manage. Well, the way it's going to manage that is by increasing pressure and increasing the amount of tissue deformation in order to, to absorb that force. The two little bunny hops kind of like prep, or I think I talked to you about like tuning it to increase the amount of pressure that it's generating prior to the uh, next initial drop. So that, that's where that came in for, again, your specific presentation of, well, you might not be as good at generating that, that internal pressure. Okay. And then what was the, remind me the, the second exercise that we did. It's the front foot elevated high split squat overcoming iso hold. Okay. So the, the overcoming isometric, again, allows for an increased or a, a super maximal amount of pressure generation to occur. So as you're pushing into, so this would be like a rack hold or something like that, where you're pushing up into the rack. So as you're pushing up into that rack, that musculature is creating uh, an increased amount of pressure and an increased amount of force production upwards 
against where the, the internal forces would be going. And so that A1 and that 2, again, complements itself to allowing for a greater amount of force production and, and internal pressure generation or as you drop into that into that split squat to continue to improve your ability to, to manage those internal forces. But that's where that kind of pairing comes into play there. Yeah. And again, that is a really fun pairing um, back to back. No problem. I mean, you're thinking about my guts. I'm thinking, no, it's just a great time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the last day, day two. Okay. Um, B1 is an alternating dumbbell reverse lunge. B2 is a hands elevated push up to sh- alternating shoulder tap. Okay. B3 is a contralateral, so opposite arm, dumbbell lateral lunge. Okay. And B4 is an alt, a short seated, excuse me, lat pull down. Okay. So I think I'm just going to pick one here. All right. Go with a good one. The alternating dumbbell reverse lunge. Gotcha. Am I a uh, special little snowflake where a reverse <laughs> lunge is going to be great for me? Uh, yes, exactly. And I would not recommend a reverse lunge to anyone else other than Michelle Boland. She's the only <laughs> one that should be doing it. Yeah. So sweet. Thank you. Just kidding. Um, so with the amount of uh, compression on that backside of your body, then that would uh, generate more of a, um, a anterior translation of your center of mass, right? So the reverse lunge helps to reverse that. So the reverse lunge would encourage more of an expansive strategy and decrease the amount of pressure on the backside of your body so that you can allow the momentum of your body to move backwards. Uh, And then the the split stance activity actually allows for a little bit more hip internal rotation, um, posterior expansion of of your pelvic outlet, posterior expansion of the posterior thorax, um, that's again, allowing for more of that movement to be recaptured, but then also the position with your hips again, still allows you to, uh, put your pelvis and your hip into a better position to produce force, which again, that would be more of a theme of what we're going after for you. So that would be the, the reasoning behind that. Perfect. Look at that. Yeah. And- I'm just crushing weights left and right over here. So nailing it. Building yeah, monsters. You're I was gonna say you're like barely fitting into your zoom screen anymore. So I know. All this <laughs> all this gear doesn't fit me anymore. What is that? Like a, a double XL MBT <laughs> sweatshirt or something? It's actually an extra small, but I'm proud <laughs> of it. You know? <laughs> well, so you were an extra, extra small, yeah. but now you're just an extra all right, good. Definitely. Right, the results that we want. Perfect. Hey, uh, your intention, attention to detail is amazing and genuinely appreciate learning from you. Um, as always Same here, Michelle, we go way back to kinesiology oh, yeah. class at you, Springfield college. You were the one giving me like C's and all my lab reports and stuff. So I really appreciate <laughs> totally. that. Hey, have you put any of that, uh, kinesiology information into use? Since then? Of course. What do, you, what do you think I'm doing right now? So, uh, okay, there cool, we go. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Mike. Um, I will send people over to your Instagram. I already gave them ways to contact you. But honestly, anyone who wants a really good experience with a great remote 
uh, coach, please contact Mike. He's just fantastic. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it becomes for fine movement professionals like you to find us. And the more time Michelle and I can devote to bringing on high caliber guests and continuing to produce a high quality show. If you're still listening, that means you're pretty cool. And that likely means your friends are pretty cool too. We'd love for them to become fans of the show. Spread the injury prevention love and the biomechanical knowledge by sharing a screenshot of your favorite episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Dr. Michelle Bolin and at Tim Richard DPT when you do. Now get out there and go train.